Amen. You know, the spirit of the Lord is in this place. He is in this place. And uh, if you have your scripture and want to open up to Romans chapter 8, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 this morning, just two or three verses. You know, sometimes things go really well, and sometimes they don't go well at all. And sometimes we may feel like the parakeet in Max Lucado's book, Into the Storm, in the eye of the storm, excuse me. And the, the, the parakeet's name was Chippy, Chippy the parakeet. I don't know if you've heard of Chippy, but uh, he never saw it coming. I mean, one second he was peacefully perched on his cage, and the next he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. You know, the, the problems began when Chippy's owner uh, wanted to clean out his cage, and so she took the vacuum cleaner and um, took the end off of the vacuum cleaner and, and stuck it in the cage and began to clean out his cage. And when she did, her phone rang. And so she turned to answer her phone and all she heard was And um, all of a sudden, you know, she's upset. She's like, oh my gosh, she put down the phone. She turned off the vacuum and, and she opened the bag and there was Chippy inside the bag, still alive, but stunned. Since the bird was covered with dust and soot, she picked him up and she ran to the bathroom and she turned on the faucet and she ran water over the bird, cleaning him off and getting him all clean. And he was, she was holding him there and she noticed that he was really cold and he was shivering. So she took out the blow dryer and began to blow hot air on him. To dry him off like any compassionate bird owner would do. Poor Chippy, he never knew what hit him. You know, a few days after the trauma, the reporter who had initially written about the event contacted uh, Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. And this is what she said. She said, well, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just kind of sits and stares. Folks, many of us feel that way from time to time. I mean, we're just traumatized to the point where we just want to sit and stare. And this morning, I hope that this message is an encouragement to you. I hope that you will see in this that, that God is sovereign and that God is at work in our circumstances. He's, he's taking care of things. And you know, when we read God's word throughout history, controversy has raged over whether or not a Christian can lose their salvation. And you know, if all the texts of the Bible were clearly on one side or the other, there would be no controversy. But there are texts that seem to support each side. And so I just want to give this to you up front. This is something, uh, no extra charge here. Uh, when you come to difficult passages in the Bible, in Scripture. Here's just a couple of quick guidelines for you. I would say this, interpret the more difficult text in light of clearer texts. Ones that you know that you understand, okay? Interpret the more difficult text in light of clearer text. Secondly, I would say this, consider each text in its context, 
Okay, when you're reading the scripture, consider the, 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 the chapter around it, consider the verses around it, and, and consider it in light of the purpose and the, the flow of the thought that the, the author had in, in mind, okay? Like, like read that whole passage and kind of go with the flow on that passage, okay? And then third, I would say this, interpret individual texts in light of the overall teaching of scripture. You know, um, what, what does God's word say about this? And then compare scripture to scripture, okay? So that said, um, now, now when it comes to the security of our salvation, I believe that the clear and unambiguous passages of scripture come down strongly on the side that if God has saved us, that he will keep us for all eternity. Amen. That is what God's word says. And, 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 you know, the, the security of our salvation flows out of what I want to call Paul's overall doctrine of salvation. He's got this, this body of knowledge, if you will, that he's shared. And, and, and our, our doctrine of that, our security of our salvation flows out of that. And, and Paul is showing in Romans chapter 8 that our salvation from start to finish, from the very beginning to the very end, our salvation is from God. And so it could never fail. I think this is huge because our salvation is secure because God originated it. It's his plan. He affected it. He, he put it into our experience and he will complete it. It's all on him. It's his plan. He came up with it. He's the one who's going to do it. He's the one who's going to complete it. And I think that should be a very big encouragement to us. See, the verses in today's scripture passage reveal that our past, our present, and our future um, are, are all before the foundation of the world. God, you know, he, he foreknew. He, he, he had knowledge ahead of time. He predestined. He, he made our destination sure. And you think about all this, and I, I love that because as a result of these sovereign decisions... At some point in our lives, he effectually calls us. He calls us, he invites us, and he justifies us so that now he is working to conform us into the image of his son. That is his, his purpose in this. In the future, we will be glorified, fully conformed to Christ, that we will, when we see him, we will see him as he is, and he, we will be like him. And this is, this is big stuff because we, we wonder about that and, and, you know, we're not going to see him until we have a glorified body. And then we, we will be like him. And, and, and we need to understand that, that, that the entire process comes from God and is sustained by him. It's designed for his glory. And if his sovereign purpose for the glory and supremacy of Jesus Christ is certain, then our future glory with him is certain. It all hinges, it all rests on God and his character. So I want to look together, if we can, for just a few moments here at God's process. Okay, and I, I think about this in terms of like links in a chain, okay, okay? 
that they're connected. I'm not, I'm not building on blocks of algebra or anything like that. So you can just rest. Um, but we are talking about, uh, God's process of salvation here in order to accomplish this purpose of bringing glory to himself. God designed a process that's found in here. I want to read, uh, chapter eight, verse 29 and 30. And it, it, it builds on what we talked about the last couple of weeks. We've been in uh, verse 28, and then we talked about verse 29 last week. And today I'm going to add 30 to that. So there's kind of a, a body here of three verses, but I'm going to read verse 29 and 30. And it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. I just want to pause here for a moment and just thank God for what he has already done. Loving Father, we thank you for this time. Uh, We thank you for what you have done in and through uh, your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, you've done it all for us, and we just give you thanks. I pray that even now, Father, that you would be glorified in this place by your word and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, this passage, these few verses here, kind of explain what is he's talked about in verse 28. And, you know, verse 28 um, this, this is what makes verse 28 true, because if we go back and, and Paul uses the word no for, he says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And, and how does he know with such certainty? Because this is like a chain reaction, if you will of salvation. Okay. It's a process that begins in heaven and it ends up in heaven. It begins in heaven. It ends up in heaven. And once God starts it, it will be completed because salvation from beginning to end is a work of God. We like to think we have something to do with that, but salvation from beginning to end is a work of God. See, we see this in the use of five key words here that links in a chain, if you will. And these parallel clauses are closely connected. The first one, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. God chose us. God chose us when we were still sinners. God chose us when we were unlovable. God chose us before we ever even knew he existed. He chose us. And I think that's huge because this word foreknew, those whom he foreknew before you and I were even born, God knew us before we were even born. It says in Jeremiah one five, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. See, this verse corrects us when we're tempted to say that, that we chose God. You know, he, he chose us before we were even born. He chose us. And this is a, the, the flawed perspective that we have because God has taken the initiative 
in the chain reaction, if you will, of regeneration, of being saved, of, of the salvation part. He is the one who initiated that. He loved us before we were even born. Secondly, it's, I, I went into depth on these last week, so I'm just going to touch on them. He changes us. He changes us. Foreknowledge determines who God's children will be. Predestination determines what God's children will be. It says in verse 29 that he predestined us to become conformed to the image of his son. <laughs> I mean, God is chipping away at us. He, he is chipping away to conform us to the image of his son so that all that is left is the image of Jesus Christ in your life and mine. <laughs> He's conforming us. He doesn't care about our comfort. He's conforming us to the image of his son. And when he knocks off a little piece, it hurts. When he trims us up, we think we can't live without it, but we can. He's conforming us to the image of his son. That is what he has predestined us for, so that we would become like his son. Now, don't get hung up on, on the, the word predestined. In this context, it means that God has decided beforehand where you're going to end up. That he wants you conformed to the image of his son. Your destination has been decided because God decided and determined that one day you will look like and be like his son. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because I know I ain't it yet. I ain't there. And you're not either, but he's conforming us to become like his son. If you're a believer, you have been predestined to go to heaven. You've also been predestined to be like Jesus when you get there. I love that. See, our salvation is secure because God effected it. And by effected it, I mean that he made it happen in our experience. He made it happen in our experience. Paul tells us that our salvation is secure because in the past, God originated it and in time, he affected it or brought it to pass in our experience. He did it all this way back here but before the foundation of the world. But you know what? On May 3rd, 1971, Ridge Adams accepted Christ as his Savior and Lord. He brought it into my experience. He affected it. It happened a long time ago, but he affected it for me in that time. He does that for each one of us. He changes us. He brings it. He chose us and God changes us. And thirdly, I would say this, God calls us. And, and, and the next link in the chain is this word call. And, and really it means invited. Think about being invited to a banquet. You get an invitation. You're called. And that's really what that word means. And it's given a, and God has given a general call, if you will, whosoever will, okay? He has given a general call to everyone who will, and, and then a specific call to those who will respond. Think about this. You can throw a get-together, a party, 
at your house. And you could stand up and say, hey, I want everybody to come. I want, I want you all to come. And you know what? Every one of you would be welcome. But if you really want people to show up, you go invite them personally. And you say, Kyle, I want you to come to that party. <laughs> Joel, I want you to be there. Please come to this get together. And he does that. That's, an, it, that's a specific call. There's a general call to everyone and there's also a specific call. And, and the general call of the gospel goes out to all people. Jesus mentioned this when, in Matthew 22 when he said, many are called, but few are chosen. He issued a general call when he said in Mark 1.15, repent and believe in the gospel. Or when he said in Matthew 11.28, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He's, he's putting out a general call to, to everyone to come. And this general, this general call is genuine on God's part. But it's not effectual because of the hardened hearts of the people in the fallen human race. When somebody says, hey, I want you all to come to this this get-together I'm having, you decide usually really quickly if you're going or not, whether or not you need the details or not. And that's what we do when he calls us, is we decide what we're going to do about that call. We either respond to it or we don't. But understand this, those who refuse the gospel call will be without excuse on judgment day. Every invitation, every call that you have heard, every time someone has invited you to come to Jesus Christ will stand in testimony against you if you have not received the Son of God for your payment for your sins. See, in the New Testament letters, call or calling is always used of God's effectual call, the specific one. It always accomplishes God's purpose of giving life to the spiritually dead so that they can respond to the call. And the specific call is an irresistible inward pull of the Holy Spirit as he woos and wins you to Jesus Christ. He is the one working that. He is the one carrying that out. You know, theologians, they refer to this call as this specific call as being the effectual call. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon a prince of preachers. Somewhere he compares the, the general call, if you will, to lightning that is up in the sky that is maybe going from cloud to cloud. Lightning, where it just generally lights up the area. But the effectual call is like, like a lightning bolt that comes down and it hits its target. See, it, it, it's that kind of call. It's a very specific call. We see an example of this in Scripture. You remember Lazarus? <laughs> Jesus calling Lazarus from the tomb? Remember what Jesus had said just before this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. 
And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. (laughs) See, the raising of Lazarus that followed was an unforgettable illustration that we have of Jesus's power to call the spiritually dead to spiritual life. When Jesus called, when he said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus came back to life and he responded to God's call on his life. He got up and he walked out of that tomb. You see, that is the power that we're talking about that Jesus has to bring life. God's word is powerful to create new life. And Jesus said in John 6, 37, he said, all that the father gives to me will come to me. See, God's effectual call always comes through his general call. In other words, the gospel is preached. The gospel is preached and, and, or it's proclaimed to all. Some people shrug it off. Maybe even angrily resist it. I'm not going to do that. Some people it may even respond, you know, superficially. They may be like, well, my, my, my brother went forward and, and he prayed the prayer and he walked the altar, walked the aisle to the altar and I'm going to do that too. And so they go and do that and, and, you know, or maybe sometimes people want God to help them out of a problem situation. And so they respond to the call. You know, but when suffering comes and their problems get worse, many times they fall away. But in the elect, God's effectual call comes with power so that they are born again from spiritual death into life. He brings spiritually dead people to life. Their eyes are open to the glory of Christ and what he did on the cross, and they respond in faith and repentance. So I would say this, if you're a Christian, then you are called. If you're not a Christian, then you need to respond to his call. He chose us. He changes us. He calls us. Notice this one. God cleanses us. See, the word used here and throughout the book of Romans is justified. All of the righteousness of Jesus Christ is credited to our account. (laughs) Man, that's that's good stuff. And he credited it to our account while we were still sinners. Not after we got all cleaned up and all polished up. Not after we got all of our stuff together. No. When we were ugly, rotten sinners. Filthy He credited that righteousness to our account. Hallelujah. I'm not going to get what I deserve. I know where I've been. I know what I've done. And you do too. But when God looks at you as a child of his, he sees the blood of Christ covering your sin. We're considered clean. We are justified by God's grace alone through faith in Christ alone. 
See, to justify means to declare righteous. We've been declared righteous. And based on Christ paying the penalty we deserved, God declares righteous all who trust in him. So when you put your faith and trust in him, you are declared righteous before God. So on that day when you stand before him, you're not going to get what you deserve. And neither am I. You know, John R.W. Stott, he explains, he says, when God justifies sinners, he is not declaring bad people to be good or saying that they are not sinners. He is pronouncing them legally righteous, free from any liability to the broken law because he himself in his son has borne the penalty of their lawbreaking. He took it for us. We did all the sinning. He did all of the pain. He took that for us. See, our faith does not in any way merit justification. Rather, our faith is the channel through which we have received God's free gift. So God's effectual call to salvation results in spiritual life. When we respond, we are born again. And it brings about spiritual life, regeneration. And the first evidence of new life is faith in Christ, which through the sinner is justified. Those who are justified by faith, they begin to grow in holiness, which is called, a big word, sanctification. Okay? It means that we're gradually getting closer to God. The things of this world are coming off, and what we're doing is we're, we're becoming more and more like Christ. That is our sanctification, growing in holiness. But notice that Paul doesn't mention sanctification in this passage. He doesn't mention the word faith either. Probably because we play a part in our sanctification. We can work towards that holiness. We can do something about that. But that's not Paul's emphasis here. Paul's emphasis here is that salvation is totally from God. You can't earn it. You can't do it. It's totally from him. I love that. He's emphasizing that salvation is totally from God. So he chose us, he changes us, he calls us, he cleanses us. And fifth, he completes us. See, glorification refers to our final state. The final state when we are, our sanctification, if you will, is complete. And the word glorified means to be clothed with the glory that God himself has. So folks, this is still in the future. This is still to come. Like, like this is, <laughs> it's interesting because it's still in the future, but all of these words are past tense. Those he, he foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, he glorified. They're all in the past tense. And that means it's so certain that it's as if it's happened already. I mean, God's purpose is to bring us all the way to glory. All the way to glory. <laughs> Our glorification is guaranteed. If you look at Philippians 1.6, he says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. 
I mean, God's purpose is wrapped up in this process. And that's why we can believe the promise of Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. Oh, you know, J. Vernon McGee, I'm almost done. J. Vernon McGee, he used to explain it this way. He said, if God foreknew a hundred people, then he predestined a hundred people. And if God predestined a hundred, then he called a hundred. And if he called a hundred, he justified a hundred. And if God justified a hundred, then he glorified a hundred. It's not as if God starts out with a hundred and then loses some in the process. It's not as if he foreknew a hundred and then he predestined 80 and then he calls 60. He justifies 40 and only has about 20 left to take to heaven. That's not how it happens. The number is exactly the same throughout. (laughs) There's no slippage and no one gets off the bus. Folks, this is where the the, the tire meets the road, if you will. This wonderful truth means that we can hold on when we're hurting. We can hold on when the storm is blowing. We can hold on when we're in the middle of that storm because glory is on the way. It's coming. I mean, 1 Peter 5, 10, Peter says this. He says, after you have suffered for a little while, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's all from God. I love that. I've got to move quickly. I want to give you just a couple of application things here. You know, I'm not sure where this hits you today. But I know this, we're all going through something. We're all dealing with something. And and if you've never trusted Christ, I would say this. What you need to do is you need to surrender and be saved. You need to surrender and be saved. Allow him to come in and, and, and work in your life. The promise of Romans 8.28 is exclusively for those who have answered the call of God and accept Christ as their Savior and Lord. In other words, there's no limit to the all things part, but there is a limit to those to whom the all things apply. You know, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. It says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Surrender and be saved. If you are saved, then your salvation is secure. If you've trusted Christ with, with, with your life, with your eternity, with, with, your, with your all, then you are saved. And what God began, he will complete. He's going to finish the job. You have his word on that. I would also say view your challenges with a long-term perspective. 
Many times we look at the problems we're going through. We look at what's going on right now and we don't see the future glory that is ours. All we can focus on is here right now. So take a, a, a long-term perspective to whatever it is you're going through. I mean, nothing can happen to you in this life, not one single event or an accumulation of events that can change your future glory. After we've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace is gonna take us and he's gonna establish us and strengthen us and make that happen. I mean, look for how God is developing you. Look at how he's developing you in your trials. Don't just seek his deliverance. The question is, God, what are you doing in my life? What are you wanting me to learn from this? How am I supposed to respond to this? But so often our response is, why is this happening to me, God? He's like, I'm conforming you. I'm conforming you to the image of my son. What I'm cutting away, you don't need. Where I'm, where I'm adding stuff, I'm, I'm, making, I'm, I'm adding what you do not have. But he's conforming us to the image of his son. Look at what he's doing, not just wanting to be delivered from the, the issue. Because God's good for us is not our comfort, but to conform us to Christ. Oh, we're creatures of comfort. We love it. But he's making us in the image of Christ. So it is important that we note what Romans 8.28 truly says and what it doesn't say. But listen, I want to tell you this. Whatever happens in the years, the months, the weeks to come, remember this. Romans 8.28 will always be true. Romans 8:28 will always be true no matter what comes. So you know every good parent wants his child to to feel secure in his love and our heavenly father wants you to know that your salvation is secure. I mean he originated it by setting his love on you. He predestined you to salvation before the foundation of the world. He affected it by calling you to salvation and justifying you when you brought, when he brought you to faith in Christ. And he's going to complete it when Christ returns and you are eternally glorified with him. There is nothing more secure than our salvation through Jesus Christ. And because Romans 8, 28 through 30 is true, we don't have to just sit here and stare like Chippy the parakeet. No, we can sing. I'm gonna ask our worship team if they will come back up. And as they come back up and lead us in worship, I'd like for us to stand. We're gonna stand together and we're gonna read the words on the screen together as a statement of our faith. Would you do that with me? Would you stand? This is Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30. And we're just going to read it all together. And then when we finish, I'll, I'll voice a, a word of prayer. It says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Loving Father, we thank you for all that you have done in and through our lives. Father, we thank you that you chose us. Oh, Father, you have done it all for us. You initiate and we respond. And Father, I know that you are drawing each of us, that you have called us out of darkness. Father, that you have brought us to life in you. Father, maybe there's someone here today that has not responded to your invitation, to your call. So I ask that this morning they would respond to your call. Father, I pray that you would do that by your power for your glory. Father, thank you so much for all that you do every single day for us. And God, that we would would be excited about working with you and seeing us conform to the image of your son. Father, I pray that you would give each of us great hope. Father, encourage downtrodden hearts. Father, those hearts that feel like we've been sucked in and washed over and blown away. Father, that you would revitalize, that you would bring new life. And Father, that we would be the most joyous people on earth because of our great God and what he has done through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would make it so today in each of our lives and in our experience. And we rest on your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.